Welcome to the One More Jump podcast by Rise Pull Vault. Happy New Year. Um, we are in 2022 now. And before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that risepullvault.com, um, we are starting to really try and provide different things for pole vaulters to be fans of. Our, one of our biggest goals is to try to create content and create um, grow the sport and have something that you can be a fan of, um, which means you have things like a podcast to listen to and you have blog posts that you can read. And then eventually, you know, we're going to get into some, some YouTube stuff. Um, and that's just to provide more things to enjoy and to consume, uh, in the pole vaulting world. Um, and yeah, so if you ever, if you've never been to risepolevault.com, I would suggest going over there. We have some, a growing arsenal of blog posts. Um, you may find them interesting. You may not find them interesting. Uh, you may find them helpful and you may think that they're, uh, ridiculous, but they're there, uh, regardless. Um, we also have, uh, resources page with uh, some videos that uh, my brother Josh made um, from a while ago um, that have been very, very helpful to a lot of people, um, especially uh, young coaches, if, if you don't understand how to instruct the event. Um, then we also have a shop with uh, cool things like the pole vault logbook, uh, which kind of goes along with a blog post that we put up uh, last week. Um, on why you should journal in the pole vault and how to journal in the pole vault. And uh, those two blog posts uh, show you how to do it without the pole vault logbook. But the pole vault logbook is a really, really cool tool. And uh, if you watch this episode on YouTube, you'll see it in the background um, of, my, of my screen. Anyway, so if you want, check it out. If not, I get it. All right. So today's episode, we have Garrett and Dean Starkey um, from Arizona Pole Vault Academy. Um, if you've grown up around the pole vault, you will know uh, Dean Starkey was an incredible United States pole vaulter back in the 80s and 90s, um, maybe early 2000s. Um, bronze medalist at the 1997 World Championships, uh, getting the bronze medal, uh, getting third place to two of the all-time greats, uh, Sergey Buka and Maxim Tarasov. Um, and then Garrett is his son, and they both, uh, along with some other people, uh, run Arizona Pole Vault Academy and are doing incredible, incredible things and are a part of what I think is going to be the greatest thing that has happened to United States pole vaulting. And that is having people be able to start uh, clubs and gyms and be able to invest all their time into it um, to be able, you know, doing it as a full-time job. And whenever you do that, you enable yourself and the people who are running them to be able to just really pour out all their energy into it. Um, and we talk about this on there. I think that, that the starting of these and having people have it as their full-time job really is going to just explode the sport in the United States. Um, and, and yeah, you can already see that it already is starting to do that. Um, you don't have to be full-time at it, but what I'm saying is, is that 
any anything that you're devoting, you know, all of your time and energy into is probably going to be pretty good. Uh, your product's going to probably be pretty good. But anyway, so they also dive into a bunch of nutrition stuff, a bunch of uh, what else do we talk about? Competing post collegiately. Garrett's a, a post collegiate pole vaulter, um, and so we kind of go through how that's a difficult thing to do and um performance training all kinds of stuff just all, all kinds of cool stuff and they're just an incredible family um in the pole vaulting world so it was really really a pleasure to have garrett and dean on the stark on the starkey on the podcast <laughs> This is it, man. It's very chill, very laid back. And this is the first time actually that I've had two guests on. So we've done it where me and my brother interview one guest, but this is the one I have uh, two guests on. Dean Starkey and his son, Garrett Starkey. Thank you guys so much. Um, I guess you guys can just kind of, we could probably start with Dean and just where it all starts in the Starkey family with pole vaulting. Yeah, well, so... I started off my, my freshman year in high school, uh, you know, playing football and kind of doing some of the normal, normal sports, baseball and, and all that. And, uh, I wanted to get in shape, keep in shape for, for playing football. And a couple of my buddies that were on the team with me, uh, John and Steve Rossini, they were twins. They're like, Oh, you got to come out for track. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. You know, I just, I was kind of resistant to it just because I thought track was just running. I had no idea what it actually entailed. I didn't know there was other events knew nothing about it. And they, they, my mom had told me, she's like, well, you know, she goes, you're either going to go out for a sport or you're going to get a job. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go out for track. (laughs) I not want to get a job. And uh, so I was kind of coerced into it a little bit. Um, And I went out and I tried, you know, high jumping and hurdling. And, you know, I was pretty tall and skinny. I hadn't really, you know, didn't have a whole lot of meat on my bones. So I was uncoordinated and slow. And um, so you know, what they did was with the misfits is they kind of sent them over to the, to the pole vault. And, and so they sent me over there and I remember looking in this, we had all the poles in a cage that were locked up in the, in the gym. And I went and I saw this green catapult, it was called the 550 plus. And I went and grabbed that. And it was the biggest pole. I was just, I'm like, just give me the biggest pole. I want the, the, the heaviest one. And I went over, I picked that one up and it was like a, probably like a 15 foot 180 or something like that. And that's what I started with. And, uh, and so I went over and I was terrible. I was the worst one on, on the entire team. Hold, hold on. Are you, you're, you're bending this 15, 180, your oh, first no. one. Oh, okay. We started off in the gym with a, the box was level with the ground. It didn't, you know, didn't sink in. So they just set the, a metal box on top. And I just, that's how I kind of learned how to take off was with the, you know, with the box raised like that. And, uh, and so, but the, the fact that my, the point was really my attitude towards it was like, I just wanted a big pole. I mean, it's just, gotcha, gotcha. You know, I just cause I thought I was going to go higher, you know, doing that, but I didn't realize that it was going to be a little bit easier. So I, once I started vaulting a little bit, then I, I got myself down to like a, I think it was a, a 12 or 13 foot pole and a 125 instead. And I'm like, Oh, this is better. Now I was starting to bend. And you know, at the time I weighed probably about 140 pounds, um, so then that was, you know, that was a lot easier, but, um, right. someone finally clued me in, but we didn't really have, we had a, our math teacher was our coach, you know, so it wasn't like, um, 
a, a lot of um, coaching was happening. There it was more like, you know, he was watching over us and making sure we didn't kill ourselves. But, right. um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of how, how it started. And, you know, we had like one, what, what year was this? I'm sorry. What, this was what? 1983, I think. 83. Okay. 82, whatever my freshman year was. I think it was 82. Okay. So this is during, during the mid eighties, whenever you kind of were going through high school and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Freshman year of high school, you know, kind of the normal progression, you know, you, you, you don't, most kids don't get exposed to it until they're, you know, they're freshmen and they actually see what's that it's available to them. You know, right. this was in, in Chicago. Right. Right. And what school was that? It was uh Palatine high school. Palatine high school. Oh, okay. Actually one of our coaches uh, went to uh, Palatine high school. Okay. For some reason, I thought that you went to a school in the city because there was uh, a meet I went to, I think it was at Maine East where you had the field house record there. It was like 15. So I practiced there. So I, I went to, I went to three different high schools actually. So I went to Palatine high school for my freshman and sophomore year. I went to Maine West High School for my senior year. Okay. And I lived in California for one year during my junior year at Logan High School. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. There was a, there was one, uh, you know, because I I grew up, you know, looking up to your vaulting and things like that. And um, I remember one meet we went in. It was I think it was Maine East, and we uh, they were blue, blue and white. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I remember going into that field house, and I was like you had the meet record or the field house record. And I was like, if I, if there's any way I could beat Dean Starkey's record, that would be incredible. And I actually ended up doing it that day. Nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> what was but that? It was, I think it was 15. It was either 15, even or 15, three. And mm -hmm. there was a cable. There was a cable that went across the runway at about 40 feet. That was about seven feet tall. So it just, so you literally were running with your pole, dip under the cable, bring it back up and then hit the plant. Wow, and so I was like, did, how oh, did man. he do this, man? <laughs> I didn't have that. At least not that so I remember. Yeah, yeah, you did it. You did it with a handicap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an exciting day. That was, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, in Chicago, so you, you started you know, your vaulting career in Chicago, Chicago high schools, which is cool because, uh, you know, we were based out of the Chicago area. And so why, so you, you go from high school and then you go to U of I, and then you have a pretty successful career at U of I, correct? Yep. Okay. So tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I actually had a, a couple, a, a couple of other options. I went and looked at, um, at, uh, Iowa state and I looked at, uh, uh, Illinois state and, uh, and Illinois was university of Illinois was the last place that kind of was re recruiting me. And, um, interestingly, uh, I went to Illinois state and they, they offered me a full scholarship, um, to go to school there. I'm like, all right, cool. This is, it was actually a viable option for me. I'm like, the, you know, it's, you know, I thought it was academically, it was going to be fine for, for where I was at. Um, and then, uh, Illinois, um, kind of started, you know, contacting me and, and through my, my high school coach. And, um, then during that process, Illinois, the coach from Illinois is like, yeah, as soon as you jump 16 feet, you'll get that full scholarship. And I'd only jumped 15, six at the time. And I'm like, well, I thought you already offered it to me. And mm -hmm. they, uh, and they're like, no, no, as soon as you jump 16, that's where, that's where our full scholarship starts. I'm like, okay, I'm, I, we had a completely different conversation, but 
I go, you know what? I go, I'm not interested. And I said, so I'll, I'll talk oh, to you later. Wow. I never, never talked to those guys again. I turned it down and I don't even remember who the, who the coach was at the time, but, um, but I was like, wow, I couldn't believe that they just kind of pulled, pulled a fast one on me like that. And right. so then, um, University of Illinois, uh, Jerry Clayton, he came to the, the, I think it was called the Rosemont horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of indoor place where we had a, we had an indoor meet there and he came and watched me and it was the perfect meet for him to, to come and watch me. I was, I jumped, um, I jumped 15, six that day and I was pretty far over 16 feet. But the reason why he recruited me is because I was holding 16 feet mm-hmm. on a five meter pole. In hold, high on. hold on in high school. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So yeah. yeah and that's legit. And well, but I was also, you know, wasn't really getting back in the pocket or doing anything. I was literally just, you know, sitting, sitting over the bar. <laughs> and, but I, so the way I learned how to pole vault was I marked my pole, whatever the height was at is where I put my grip. And, and so awesome. <laughs> all the way up. And so I never stopped doing that. So if the bar was at 16, I would hold 16 feet and I'd always have an eight inch push. Hey, that, I mean, to be honest with you though, that's a very effective way of doing it. If you can get to pull through the pit, that's a great way to do it. <laughs> well, the, the point is, so I wanted to if jump. If you're tall and fast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to jump 17 feet. So I called, me and my coach called uh, Gil. Oh, I've heard this story. Tell it. We asked him, we're like, hey, we you know, want to order some 17 foot poles. And they're like, how high do you jump? I'm like, well, I've jumped 16 feet, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating on jumping 17 and I need more pole to, to do that. And so I was ready at the top, I was ready to cap in the, the five meter pole. Right. And, and so they're like, you know what, they're like, we're not going to sell you a 17 foot pole. You need to learn how to pole vault first and you're holding way too high. And they kind of, um, oh, told me about gosh. that. And then I asked Jerry Clayton about it. He goes, just keep doing what you're doing. He goes, when you, get to, when you get to Illinois next year, we'll fix everything. It'll be, you'll, you'll see, it'll be great. But he goes right now, don't change a thing. So yeah. I'm like, all right. So I wish, I wish I could see video of you sitting over 16 feet. I don't think I've seen very many people sit over that. <laughs> Might have some awesome. VHS somewhere. <laughs> but that is hilarious because, uh, you know, you guys work with a lot of young people too. And that's the mentality of a lot of young people. It's like, well, all I got to do is just, just grip high on that, that bigger pole. And then I'll just jump high. And it's like, man, there's a lot of steps in between there. And I think that Garrett, you had a good point that you're lucky that you were strong and fast because <laughs> that's a good way to probably end up in the box too. <laughs> oh really yeah. Doing it like that, you know? That's, well, uh, that's crazy. it's not like all of a sudden one day I was holding 16 feet. It literally happened over the entire course of my career. It's just whenever I was going to the next bar, raise the grip six inches, you know, to be honest though, like what is he, what did Mondo grip in high school? I mean, that's gotta be somewhat in the realm of what Mondo gripped in high school. Well, what do you probably grip five he meters? Was on, or? He was on five meter poles in high school. Yeah. If I remember correctly, but probably 30 or 40 pounds over his weight. My poles were right. probably at my weight. That's what I'm talking about. That's kind of the way that I did it too. I don't want to kind of reveal my secrets to my, uh, the people that I work with. Um, but I was not a very good pole halter, (laughs) but I could grip (laughs) high. I could grip pretty high. I could grip 15, nine in high school, which is, which is pretty, pretty high. And, uh, on a 16 foot long pole and like, like you had said, like I I can sit over 15, six, if I do that, you know, like I can, I can you know, not that hard. Um, but it does help to learn how to actually pole vault and you figured it out eventually and it ended up doing it, you know, once, once I got to Illinois, he, he lowered my grip about a foot and a half 
And, and so within the first two months, I was jumping 17, 17 feet pretty easily after lowering my grip. And it was the, it, to me, it was a game changer because all of a sudden I felt like I was pole vaulting. Now I'm getting the real thrill of, of jumping because now I'm pushing off, you know, instead of eight inches, I'm, now I'm pushing off, you know, a couple feet. Right. And it's a lot more fun. Uh, because you hit that pocket and you really, really feel what it feels like. And that, that addictive feeling of pole vaulting, that's what people get addicted to. They, they get addicted to that, you know, hitting that pocket and just, you know, exploding off the top of that. And that's, that probably was pretty motivating for you as well. So, so you went through at Illinois and then you, um, ended, what were your accolades at U of I? Um, I won indoor NCAAs, um, my junior and senior year championship. Yeah. Indoors. Yep. Dang. That's awesome. Yep. Outdoors. I, I usually struggled, um, just because we were, we weren't, um, practicing outdoors, um, a whole lot beforehand. And so we practiced indoors a lot. Oh. Um, and, and so I felt like I never really hit my stride in the outdoor season until later in the summer and, and all that. So, and that, that was par for the course every year. It seemed like. Yeah, I would say I would agree with that. I think that, uh, with my career and my brother's career is, you know, you guys are in Arizona and it, it's, it's nice to be able to, to do that training outside all year round. Um, and I think that a lot of our vaulters in Illinois, you know, our high school season goes from like, well, our outdoor season goes from like March to the beginning of June mm -hmm. and then it starts to get nice weather, you know? So it's like March to June is really, really hard, hard, hard weather to pole vault in. And then the season's over and then the summer gets here. And then a lot of kids end up going to summer meets and having personal bests and things like that. So it is, it is difficult, but. Yeah. By my senior year, I kind of, I started to figure it out and, um, and I was about a week off of my, my training for, for the NCAAs. And so I was basically trying to get on five, 10 poles. Um, and, uh, I was in Provo, Utah, and I ended up, uh, bringing, I underestimated how fast I was going to be running and I didn't have enough poles with me. And I committed to, to jumping on those poles. Um, and I blew through them all and then went to us nationals, um, the week after that and ended up getting fourth at the, at the U S nationals as a senior. So that was, Oh, geez, that that's awesome to me because there was, I mean, those, there were guys like Corey Tarpening, Tim Bright and Earl Bell and, you know, those kind of guys that were, you know, that were competing there, uh, Greg Duplantis, uh, Mondo's dad. Right. Um, so I ended up getting fourth there. Um, and, uh, that got me, uh, a high enough mark. I jumped 18, eight, got me a high enough mark to, to, to get into some of the European meets. And so I, you know, I was able to kind of take off to, to Europe and, and, uh, you know, hit that. B circuit, you know, early on. Right. And I do want to come back to your, uh, post-collegiate career. Cause you had a very successful post-collegiate career, uh, as well. And you grew up, you, you came up during a really, really awesome time of us pole vaulting. You guys had a, a lot of really, really great pole vaulters. I do want to get back to that, but Garrett, so where, where do you start? Where do you come into the mix here? Uh, <laughs> where's, where's Garrett's uh, story start the pole vault? So I guess my earliest memories of it are going to the track with my dad at Cal Poly um, as just a little kid and, uh, you know, just watching his practices. I grew up watching his practices uh, my whole life and, 
you know, he would teach me sprint drills or let me jump on a little crossbar or something as a little kid. But, uh, for the most part, I actually didn't start pole vaulting until ninth grade. Um, he, uh, he kind of always used reverse psychology on me. He'd be like, nah, you don't want to pole vault. Like, it's like really hard and scary. Like, like, dad, I want to pole vault. And he's like, all right, maybe when you're older. Um, so yeah, ninth grade, actually, we finally, we moved into a new house that had some land and, uh, and he was like, all right, he's like, we're going to use your college fund. We're going to buy a pole vault pit. And, uh, <laughs> there we go. And so he's like, yep, here we go. You better, you better get training and, and earn a scholarship if you want to, if you want to pole vault. And of course it, it's a little bit joking. He never forced me to, to pole vault or anything. You know, I was always right. just dying to do it. And so, um, ninth grade, right around the fall, I started pole vaulting. Um, and then, uh, I, I ended up breaking my collarbone, jumping my BMX bike at some point, which took me out for a while. So I pretty much started, uh, during the spring of my freshman year. Okay. Um, and if anybody yep. wants to see Garrett break his collarbone, look on YouTube and type in Garrett Starkey broken collarbone and you'll see <laughs> jump of his, his bicycle as you've ever seen. <laughs> oh, it, it, it was great. I, uh, I was the test dummy for this new jump that we built and I wasn't wearing a helmet or anything. And I just came in way too fast and, uh, over jumped it by probably a solid 10 feet and, and went over my front handlebars and got a really bad concussion, like, you know, cut the whole side of my face open and, and yeah, oh, it was, it was nasty. My dad about, loves to bring that up. <laughs> so, so the interesting thing about that is um, four months earlier, I had told him, I'm like, Garrett, you know, cause I knew he was kind of crazy on a skateboard and his bike and all that. I'm like, I don't want to be putting all this work into, you know, your, your training and all that. And then all of a sudden have you below it four months from now, jump on your bike or, or doing something dumb on your skateboard. I said, so you have to be really careful now because you're, you've got to train with that kind of mentality that this is your job. This isn't, you know, serious. And he's like, yeah, no worries, dad. I, you know, don't worry about me. That is <laughs> hilarious because God's honest truth. Okay. So God's honest truth. Me and my brothers grew up skateboarding. That was my first passion and first love was skateboarding. Me as well. Vaulting. Me as well. So I was <clears throat> in eighth grade and I had just started pole vaulting and I, I, you know, probably similar to you, I, I went to the track my first time and, and the first day I was bending the pole and, you know, getting over like nine, nine, 10 feet, you know, and it was like, whoa, it was pretty apparent that I could probably be pretty decent at, at pole vaulting. And, uh, and my dad had, had had a really success, a successful high school and collegiate career. And, um, so I started pole vaulting and then, but I was like, man, but I still really like skateboarding. So I was crook grinding this down box at this, at the <laughs> skate park. And, and I, and I tried it like 10 times and then finally landed it. And I was like, okay, now I want to put it into a run. And so then I went, did my trick, came back, crook grind and board slipped out. And my ankle just got totaled, just completely yeah. wrecked. And that night I was laying in my bed, my ankles, like the size of a basketball. And my dad had that exact same conversation with me. He was like, Jake, you're going to be, you could be pretty good at pole vault, but these, you know, if we, if we work really hard at it, and then you want to, you know, you're going to, you know, keep skating. You, you may, you may not end up seeing, you know, your ultimate potential or whatever. So that's just ironic that you guys had that same conversation. Oh yeah. And it's a great learning experience, you know, up until that point, 
you know, I thought I was invincible. I could do anything. I, I love to, to, you know, uh, jump my bike and go ride my skateboard and, you know, kickflip down eight stairs and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, you come to a point where you realize you're not invincible for sure. <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> and, just takes uh, one and little I, thing. I wanted that scholarship. So, you know, I was willing to get, I, I gave it all up after that and, and, uh, dedicated myself to pole vaulting. So, you know, and the thing is too, is that we kind of grew up, um, I'm, I'm older than you, but my, so we, wa- we grew up watching uh, Sky Systems. I don't know if you guys uh, oh, remember, yeah. remember Sky Systems that Jan, Jan Johnson put together. And, and so there was all these videos, Sky Systems videos, and we used to watch them and there would be clips of people skateboarding. And, and there was like a kind of like a culture in pole vaulting of like kind of more quote unquote extreme sports and things like that. Um, and so we grew up and we were like, well, skateboarding and pole vaulting is just kind of like one in the same, you know, like you, right. you, if you do this, then you do that. And then I heard a rumor that Nick Heisong had a bowl in his backyard. Does he yep. have a bowl in his backyard? Yeah. I actually grew it? up. I grew up skating with Nick a, a lot. Um, when my dad moved to, to Arizona, when I was in junior high, Nick would literally like call my dad and be like, Hey, can Garrett come skateboard? And, uh, and, and he'd come pick me up and we'd go skate sometimes in his backyard. He had a, he had a pretty big half pipe in his backyard, but he'd take me to the skate park and yeah, we, we had a great time skating. So that's not a rumor. So then I heard that Nick Heisong's got that in his backyard and I'm like, well, that's a free ticket. Now I, I, I have to skate and pole vault at the same time. <laughs> didn't, didn't work out though. But as soon as I did just cool it on the skating. Um, and then I also ran cross country, which does not mix well with uh, pole vaulting. Um, oh no. <laughs> and, and as soon as I stopped those things and I just kind of dedicated myself to pole vaulting, it was just like, boom, next year I won a state championship. And it was just like, all right, this is, that was a good choice, you know? So but yeah, so 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 you started. Uh, so you went and you vaulted and had a really successful high school career, right? Yep. Yeah. So you know, my freshman year, like I kind of was just getting into it. I jumped twelve six my my freshman year and was okay. I, I didn't have a very good jump. We I kind of started off bending the pole right away, and so you know, developed a pretty blocky jump, like like what tends to happen when you when you start bending the pole right away. And, but then the, you know, the whole next summer, my, my dad took away, um, bending the pole for a while. We learned a straight pole and then all of a sudden PR shot up to 15 feet sophomore year. And then, uh, 16, six, my junior year and, uh, eventually 17, my, my senior year. So, you know, eventually developed a, I think a pretty decent jump by the end there. Well, Garrett right. was the first person that, that I've ever started off pole vaulting. Like I coached at the college level, but I've always gotten, you know, fairly refined athletes and I'd never started anyone from scratch. So he was like a guinea pig as far as, um, how do I, how, what do I even do to get started with that? And, uh, yeah, we, we had no idea how to, how to start a beginner and we kind of de- ended up developing a, a model later for, for starting beginners. But yeah, like you said, I was total guinea pig at that point. I kind of, I learned a lot from watching Neo Vault and Sky Systems and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. You got pretty good genetics too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I wish I got some more of the vertical genetics. You know, sit, sitting at five nine, but uh, but definitely got some of them for sure. Are you, are you six feet, Dean? 
Uh, 6'1", yeah. 6'1", okay. And then your wife was a pole vaulter as well? Was she yeah. pole vault? Okay, yeah. so so what 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 did she, uh, like how high did she pole vault? Was she a... 14-1, um, she did the Olympic trials. Um, yeah. That's yeah. awesome, that's crazy. Yeah, you got some pretty freaking good genetics, man. Um, that That's awesome. And you guys don't have any body fat either. So uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> that's right. Heck yeah. What are you guys' secret? You got to tell us the secret. Because I feel like everybody at your, all the elite vaulters at your spot, like if you combine all their body fat together, might equal like 12%. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> you guys are like freaking shredded. What are you guys doing? With their diets. They are really disciplined. Yeah. Well, Just you know, really we, 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 we train hard. We stay pretty active. We got Trey, who's, you know, kind of just a nutrition nerd and he's educated, uh, Nate and I on, on nutrition throughout the years. And, and I, I took quite a few nutrition classes as well as in college. I'm kind of a, a human biology nerd in general. Um, so yeah, we stay pretty disciplined on the diet, but yeah, I'd like to think that we, we train pretty hard. So. That's awesome. You guys like, uh, do you, do you guys partake in any supplements or do you supplement caffeine or, or creatine or any, any of those types of things? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, our, our main supplements that we take, we think creatine is probably the, the most effective pole vault supplement that you can take. Uh, fish oil is really good. I'm big into fish oil just as a general, I, I don't know. It's kind of like a nature's anti-inflammatory. I kind of feel like, and, uh, multivitamin, um, vitamin C collagen, uh, vitamin C and collagen are really good taken together for your tendon health. Um, so take them for that reason. And then if I ever need to take protein powder, cause I didn't get enough protein in the day, I'll do that. But, but nothing crazy, just kind of the basics. Is there any, like, uh, just like if you were to have to choose like one superfood that you could just have for the rest of your life, what would it, what would it be? A superfood. Ooh, I, I kind of feel like the whole, the whole superfood idea is almost like kind of a myth, but, uh, man, I don't know if, if I had to just choose one food for the rest of my life, all nutrition aside, it'd probably be eggs. I eat eggs like every single day and I never get tired of it for some reason. <laughs> what about you, Dean? Yeah, it'd probably be the same thing. I would do an egg scramble, you know, with just, you know, if I'm like serious about what I'm doing, eggs and, you know, with some chopped up sausage and, and peppers and onions and all that kind of stuff, that'd be like one of my oh, yeah. veggie scramble right there. That, that's you're, the main, that's the main your staple. And you're getting your, your, your vegetables in there and so that would be, so like would you choose, would you choose, uh, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I like, I'm geek out on nutrition stuff too. So would you choose eggs over like a, like a cut, like a nice cut of, uh, like a ribeye or something like that? Would you choose eggs over that? I'm just curious. Yeah, probably. I mean, I feel like, I feel like just a little bit cleaner i don't know I, I mean but but i do like a nice uh strip of ribeye for sure but it doesn't um, have to be ribeye either i just i i think <laughs> uh i think that meat you know sometimes gets a bad rap these days and and it's you know it there's there's a lot of really incredible nutrients packed into you know just one ounce of of good quality grass-fed grass-finished beef or oh or yeah whatever you know yeah well then you're getting natural creatine you know you're you're getting your iron and stuff like that so i'd say nutritionally yeah probably um 
meat would be better. I was kind of just thinking like what I would eggs, enjoy. Though. I mean, I'm doing <laughs> eggs every day for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, eggs. Yeah. I, I have eggs. We would rotate through like, you know, we wouldn't eat like a, uh, like beef every night. We, I, I like to like rotate it through. So we'll do chicken, turkey, um, beef. And, but I didn't like, I don't usually do the same thing, like, you know, two days in a row, you know, I just, right. like, you know, digestively, I'd, I'd rather just kind of space that out a little bit. Yeah. Like I try to make sure that my daughters and, and my family have, uh, salmon once a week, like a good, you know, mm-hmm. wild caught salmon once a week. You know, I think that my family, uh, they don't like fish. Oh no. <laughs> uh, That's why you we, supplement we, the fish oil. Well, we, we love fish. My, my wife and I love fish. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking to girls, all my girls, my wife and my two daughters. <laughs> okay. Yeah. One of my daughters likes salmon. Um, the other one doesn't, maybe it's just the way I cook it. I'm not that great of a cook, so I don't know. But yeah, so I was just curious because it, it seemed like whenever I talked to Trey that you guys uh, get into the nutrition and performance side of of you know pole vaulting and things like that. And I think a lot of people really geek out on you know this certain technique or you know this certain model or this that and the other, and then they forget that that's kind of putting the cart before the horse. If you don't have a powerful, strong, fast person, healthy person behind that technical model. That's, you know, causing that pole to roll through and everything like that. It doesn't really matter. You're, you're not going to, you know, you could be a perfect pole vaulter and jump, you know, 12 feet, you know, is that, do you guys um, yeah. oh, emphasize for sure. the performance? And I'd say, yeah, Trey is more of the, he's the nutrition guy. And, and, you know, I, I kind of learned a good bit from him, but I'd say I'm more of like, he's the nutrition nerd. I'm the training nerd of the group. So I kind of ride everyone's training. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, you can be the best pole vaulter ever on small poles, jumping small bars, you know? So, um, you know, we definitely are big proponents of trying to get as big, fast and powerful as we possibly can, uh, through training. So that was literally the mantra of my whole career, I think was, just trying to get as fast and as strong as possible. I knew I wasn't the technically soundest pole vaulter out there. And so I would compensate that by just being faster and stronger and, you know, being able to hold higher and bigger poles than other people. And I, you know, I was able to pull off, um, you know, some pretty ugly jumps over some high bars, you know, just whatever, whatever I had to do to get over them. But, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as my technique got better, I was able to, you know, still use that, that speed and that strength. And, you know, so the, 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 obviously you want the combination of the two, but if I had to choose, it'd be definitely putting the effort towards the, you know, the, the, the physical aspects of it. Do you have any, um, specific metrics that you would mind sharing with us? Like maybe your, you know, velocity or like, uh, your grip height or pole length and weight, you know, or, uh, length and flex number. For that one, but, uh, I, I, probably the, the biggest pole that I ever jumped on was, like a, a, a 17, I jumped on 17 foot poles. Um, and I was gripping, you know, the, at my highest, probably about, uh, 16, eight and, um, you know, but and a, and a, a common pole for me was so 11, 11.9, uh, was probably the, the, the stiffest, uh, but I never cleared a bar on that. I, I planted a few times, but never made a bar, uh, biggest pole I ever made a bar on, which is at the world championships in 97 was a 12.5. And that was a 17 foot pole. And I was holding about, um, probably about five, 10, you know, 16, eight on it. Wow. 
So, yeah. So my next question was going to be, how were you able to break through the coveted 580 mark? And I think you just explained it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I was on a lot smaller poles. So my, throughout my entire career, I probably gained a, a pound of muscle every single year. You know, so I, you know, when I first started off professionally, I was weighing, you know, in the probably the lower 180s. And by the time I was done, I was probably about 193. You oh, know? Wow. So, but, you know, I continually just, you know, whatever muscle that I gained, I, I would keep. And I would just continually just a slow, methodical, you know, just trying to build pole vault muscle, you know, every year. Um, and it's a slow, long, slow process. Are there any training techniques that you would, that you could like point to that are like, yeah, these things really move the needle for my performance? I'd say the number one thing that moved the needle for me was bounding plyometrics. You know, when I was my, and this was my first year over in Europe, um, I learned from uh, a meat promoter track coach in Finland. Uh, his name was Eric Lippinen. Um, and uh, he, I spent the summer there um, and he basically showed me how to do plyometrics. I never really learned how to do them in college. Um, I was fast, but I didn't have that explosive power to be able to jump off the ground and um, and feel that in every step. And so he showed me how to do it that summer. And, um, and it didn't really have a big impact on me that summer, um, because I didn't want to, I was still competing, so I didn't want to overdo it. And when I got home, I was living in Texas at the time. Uh, and I took a couple weeks off and I could hardly wait to just do a bounding workout. And because I was like, so excited about, you know, how it made me feel. And so I made this, of course, I started off with the maximum amount of bounds you can do. I did five sets of 10 of five different bounds. And, um, and I went in and I did, you know, double leg, um, double leg hops, jump squats, alternate leg bounds, single leg bounds, ankle, um, ankle hops, all these things. And I did it all one day. And, and that was my first practice of the season without doing any base training, any conditioning or anything. And the next day I woke up and I literally could not walk. I could not bend my legs. I could not walk up a stair. And it lasted for probably about a, it took me about a week to get over the soreness that that plyometric workout did to me. And I'm like, Holy cow, what did I, what did I do to myself? And then after that week, I went and did it again and I was sore, but not nearly as sore as the, the first time. And I just kept doing it. I did that same workout for, you know, for, for several months until my body adapted to it. And the, the benefit that I got from it, not that I would suggest doing it that way, but that's kind of how I, how I did it because I didn't know any better. Um, and it, my body adapted to it and I just got just more explosive every time I did it. Um, so I, I just continued doing that throughout, throughout my career. I, I refined the workout over, over the years, but, um, to find out like what was more, um, appropriate from a volume standpoint, intensity, you know, I was able right. to ease it and, and, you know, years after that, but, but yeah, so, so that, that worked. So Garrett now, you know, applying this to AZ PVA, what, like, is, is that still in sort of in your regimen? Like, do you guys still mess around with that? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, plyometrics are one of my most important staples in training as well. I mean, and that, I put it in there for the guys, for all of our high school kids. I mean, I think I've seen firsthand how important it is because, you know, my dad had me bound all through high school and I think it gave me a pretty dang powerful run in high school. And then I got to, to college and we didn't quite do as much, uh, bounding, um, 
during my undergrad. And I felt like it, it took a lot of noticeable power out of my, out of my run. And then added the bounding back in once I got out of college and all of a sudden my run got super powerful again. And it was, it was really drastically noticeable. Um, so yeah, we do a ton of bounding for distance. Um, and you know, the, the right way to do it is to, to start with a really small volume, you know, like literally your first workout might be like, like two sets of four bounds or something like that. And, and, you know, the kids sometimes will be like, Oh man, it like didn't really feel like that much of a workout, but you know, it's really taxing to the tendons to, to handle that kind of load. So it's really important to just start just stupid, dumb on the volumes, uh, really small and, uh, and then just slowly work your way up. I think that's the, the most, uh, safe and effective way to do it without just totally trashing your, your tendons. Yeah. I'm glad that you put that caveat in there because, because bound it like plyometrics is incredibly powerful. You know, we, I would, I would definitely agree that plyometrics can be incredibly powerful, but the problem is, is that sometimes we, we will work with, uh, athletes and then they'll go and they'll train with, with their high schools or with, with whoever, and they'll come back and be like, my shins are wrecked and and I can't mm-hmm. walk. And, and I'm like, what'd you do? Well, we did, you know, 45 box jumps. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. oh, I wonder, you know, yeah, <laughs> well, it, it's happened. been really, it's been really cool actually, since, you know, getting pretty nerdy about training and kind of figuring it out with the high school kids. Um, we used to have a lot of cases of shin splints and we have like hardly any cases of shin splints anymore within our high, uh, high school club until the, until they go to their high school track seasons and they start doing their high school workouts. But, um, you know, we take them through a really slow, uh, plyometric progression that I think helps their shins handle load a lot better. You know, we start out with a lot of, um, mini hops, we call them or, or, uh, you know, damn path followers will know them as rudiment. Um, but just a ton of like little tiny hops, um, and little tiny oscillations trying to get lots of volume in of just like, handling the the ground impact and then slowly progressing to bigger hops and and just making sure that there's a really nice slow progression that takes almost all year to do. But by the end of the year, I've got my high school kids doing speed bounding with no shin splints. So, um, yeah, slow progressions are definitely the key there. I think that's an amazing thing that you had just said. I, because you can, you can, your body is freaking smart, man. Like your body can adapt to a lot of things, but if you, if you just hammer it just right off the rip, you know, it, it doesn't have time and you got to give it a little bit of time. And, and what you're saying with those little tiny, like slowly, doesn't even feel like you're doing anything, but it's like, no, Mm -hmm. you are, you are just be patient, you know, slowly over time that not only can improve your performance, but like what you're saying is it can actually, it can actually kind of bulletproof your shins and bulletproof your tendons and, and things like that, because it's going to help you become much more injury resistant later on in the season. Um, if you do it the proper way, that's, I'm really, really happy that you, uh, that you brought that up. Um, yeah, yeah. So what, um, what inspired you guys to start AZPVA? Like how, how did that, all start Arizona pole vault Academy. Um, really? It was, just, it was Garrett, um, his desire to pole vault. And, um, you know, we literally bought a house, uh, with property 
with the specific intention of Garrett, you know, being able to pole vault. And then my wife also wanted to do horses. We were living in a, you know, normal track house, you know, in a neighborhood, you know, a couple miles from here. And, um, and we're like, all right, Garrett wants to pole vault. Jill wants to do horses. She found this amazing house that had everything that we needed. It was during the, the, all the foreclosures and all that. So we got a great deal on it. Um, you know, two and a half acres. Um, and, and so once Garrett started vaulting, um, I'm like, you know, we might as well get some of your friends to do it. And, um, you know, at the time I was working for the national Academy of sports medicine, I used to run all the operations and technology for them. And so I was doing this on the side, you know, just in the evenings after school or, you know, when I, when I get home from work, you know, I'd coach Garrett and like, well, let's see if we can start a little club. So we started the club and got, I don't know, just a handful of his friends together and it just started developing from there. Um, and then, you know, once, uh, once that started kind of getting some traction, um, I started getting other, um, vaulters that wanted to be here. Um, and they would actually help me, you know, coach the kids and, and things like that. And finding, uh, Casey and Annie Burlingham. I don't know if you know them. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember Casey was here to help me coach for, for a number of years and he would help me coach all the kids and, you know, in the, in the early days. And how did you attract people to, to that? Did it just organically happen like that? It was organic. I mean, we, well, a lot of it had to do with Garrett's success because Garrett was, you know, jumping pretty high early on. And, and so, you know, word spreads around pretty quick. Um, and so it just, yeah, but it's all organic. That's yeah, awesome. It, it all kind of started out with, with my friends just at my local high school. I'd say our club was mostly kids from my high school. And then, you know, it, it first it started with five kids and just slowly started trickling into to what it is now. We're at, I don't know, around 65 kids or so. Yeah, that's, that's really, really awesome. And I think that's uh, the best way to do it too, is uh, word of mouth, because if you do a good job and you can provide the people that you're serving with a good service and, and, and help them improve, you don't have to advertise and you don't have to market. You don't have to do any of that stuff because you're going to send people out there that know how to pole vault and they're going to, and then their friends are going to ask like, Hey, how the heck did you get two feet better from last year? <laughs> you know, like, right. And then they're going to be like, well, I went and visited Arizona pole vault Academy for a summer or whatever. Um, so that's, that's really, really awesome. Um, Dean, going back to your post-collegiate career, what, um, what, when you were going into your world championships, which was, your bronze medal was 97, yeah, 97. 97. Okay. 97. So you're going in, um, against two, like you got third place to two of the greatest pole vaulters of all time. What's your, what's your, you know, mental going into that? Um, you know, it's interesting cause I, I, I the meet before the world championships, I only jumped, I think I jumped 17, six in a meet in Clovis. And, oh, wow. and that was like, okay, I'm going to the world championships with a 17, six under my belt. <laughs> and I, I, I was feeling, I mean, it felt like I could jump, you know, but I just did, didn't put things together. Um, so I, I went in there with just, you know, I didn't set any expectations and it was, it, it was actually my third world championships. Cause I did, um, 93 and 95 world championship. Um, and each time it got a little bit better. I didn't make the final in the first world championships that I did. Then I made, um, uh, I'm not even sure if I made the final in the second one. No, I did. I did. I got eighth, I think. So I, you know, I was kind of climbing up the, you know, the, the ladder a little bit. 
Um, you know, I'm like, all right, well, third time, you know, hopefully I can do a little bit better, but try to not put any pressure on myself. Um, and, you know, kind of went into, into that, but you know, when, when I was actually, um, I was actually going through a management change with, uh, with my manager. So I was in the hotel room and, you know, I, I just was having trouble getting into meets and it was kind of a mutual discussion that I had with my manager. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to switch managers, you know, just to have a fresh start. And he's like, that, that's fine with me. And, you know, so we had this tough discussion and I wanted to have that discussion before I went into the, into the meet because I, I just wanted to, I didn't want anything on my mind, you know, I wanted to have right. a clear, clear mind. And, and so, you know, I got that worked out. And as I'm having the conversation with him, you know, I'm packing my track bag and all that kind of stuff. I get to the, get to the world championships, warm up area and all that. And I just did all my sprint drills and all that. And I'm about to put my spikes on and just check my bag. I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot my spikes at the hotel. So I was distracted oh from talking God. to my manager on the phone and I'm like, Oh my God. And the hotel was like 45 minutes away. So I was, uh, so and Jill, my, my wife was there and she's, she, uh, wasn't my wife at the time. It was my girlfriend at the time. Um, she's like, let me get to work on this. And so she found somebody with a cell phone and back then there wasn't a ton of cell phones around. Right. And so, uh, the, the basically was a game of telephone. So this guy calls somebody else, this other person, um, called somebody else. And like, we went through like the spikes changed hands like four times and yes. they got on, got on the next bus. And then all of a sudden, luckily we were delayed to, to be, uh, uh, ushered out into the stadium. And I'm standing underneath the, the stands going, Oh my God, I, I don't know if this is going to, if this is going to work. And so uh, there's a, a South African vaulter. His name was uh, Rian Botha. Okay. And um, he's the only one that had like the same shoes that I wore. I'm like, Hey, I go, uh, I got a huge favor to ask you. I go, after you're done warming up, would you mind if I just took a, a warm up jump in your spikes? If my spikes don't get here, and I go, you have the same size as me, same, you know, they were Nikes. And he's like, sure. No problem at all. He goes, you, you can, you can borrow. And, uh, wow. And I, go, That's I, know, really nice. I realized it was a big ask at the world championships, but I said, yeah. you know, that way at least I can not take a warm up jump in flats, you know? <laughs> and, right. And, um, and so anyway, right, right about that time, all of a sudden someone yells out my name from, uh, uh beyond the, there's a barricade there. And, uh, he's holding up my spikes. He throws them over the barricade and I'm like, Oh my God. And literally <laughs> one minute later, we walk out into the stadium and, uh, and Jill was standing and sitting in the stands and I held up the spikes. I'm like, got him. And, oh uh, my gosh. So that's how I, that kind of stress is, you know, that, that's what I started off with, you know, for the, you know, for the warmups at the, at the, uh, at the final. Holy cow. That's crazy. That so you were cool. able to get them and then you end up jumping 19, what, what was it like five, yeah. nine, five, 90, 92. 92 91 I thought 91 91 91 wow that's insane so what was it like competing against those two guys um for the people who don't know uh Sergey Bubko was you know the the goat for a long time and you know now uh, well I don't know maybe there's still is there still an argument for Bubko being the the goat oh probably I mean I mean Mondo's doing a good job of of you know taking that that um, that title, um, right. you know, it's the world champion. Mondo's the goat. Mondo's the goat. That's the, I don't know. Well, let's hear Dean's argument. Well, I don't have an argument. Oh, I, okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Buka's, when, you know, when I was competing with Buka, it, it was, 
it was amazing. He was literally a sideshow. And right. um, I mean, everyone knew if you're going there, you're, you know, you're probably competing for, for second place. And I, I did have the, you know, the, the pleasure of beating him three times in Damn. my career. Um, and which was, you know, not an easy task for him because, you know, usually he would have to beat himself, you know, to, in order for me to beat him. But there was a couple of times where, you know, I, you know, I jumped 19 feet, he jumped 18, eight. And I'd say that was a fair enough win, you know, right. one where he no heighted. So I, I kind of count that because he was still yeah. on the left, but not really, you know, ah, uh, you got to get over the bar, you know, you, you got to make it happen. So I'd count that as a win for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it was amazing competing with those guys. And, you know, I, it's not like the world championships was the only place I, I saw those guys. I mean, we were on the circuit, you know, and did all the same meets, you know, all the, at the time it was the, the Grand Prix meets and, um, you know, obviously world championships is, you know, it's stepped up, uh, emotions and, and intensity and all that kind of stuff. Um, and everybody is there at the same time. So usually at the, the big Grand Prix meets, you, you wouldn't have everybody there. Um, and you know, now you got all the best in the world that kind of get whittled down into the, you know, the top 15 in the, in the, the final. And, um, and it was rare to have all the top 15 guys in the world there at the same time, you know, you, you know, usually you'd have, you know, maybe half of that many in, in the, in the bigger meets. Right. Right. Is there anything like that, those, that people, let's just say that 97 uh, world championships at that level with those people, are there any, are there any people that are doing something like completely different than anybody else? Like was Buka doing stuff that was just completely different or was their warmups the same? That were they stretching out doing all the stuff basically the same? They just could do it, you know, at a higher level. I would say um, it was basically the same. I mean, you know, like um, warm up wise, you know, when they're doing their sprint drills, we're doing the same sprint drills. Um, Buka did them really well. Um, right. Like I, I remember watching him at the World Championships, specifically watching him do his warm ups, um, and he just had this amazing stride. And I'm like, you know, you, and you couldn't copy it because it was the strength that he had in it and the, 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 the dynamics that he had in his body to be able to, to, to pull off that kind of a stride where it looked like he was running on springs and floating. And, uh, and so I remember seeing that going, wow, I'm, uh, I, I wish I could do that, but I couldn't copy it. And I, you know, even though I tried, I was, you know, just, it was just something he'd been trained to do. Um, right. but, um, and then, uh, you know, one of the other things I noticed with world-class vaulters, and this was early on, um, you know, no matter what the temperature was, full sweats, everyone's always wearing their full sweats and then they do their warm-up laps and the speed at which they did their warm-up laps was also consistent. Everyone ran really slow, like literally like a, a, a jog shuffle more than like a, a faster jog. And, right. uh, and so, you know, that was a, a commonality and, and then straight pole drills, everyone did them almost exactly the same. Um, you know, the, um, the way they, they would swing up, the way they would bounce off the pole if they're doing a stay down drill, um, swinging up and, and extending, you know, there was very common things. And I, early on, I'd always watch the best guys in the world going, okay, I'm just going to emulate and imitate what they're doing. And, um, you know, so, uh, and it seemed like everybody kind of conformed to that. And especially with role models like Abuka or, you know, other people like that, um, you, you kind of look at them going, all right, if they're doing it that way, then I probably should be doing it that way, you know? Right. Right. There's one person I wish I would have been able to see. Actually, I I think it would be fun to, to watch Boopka, but 
as far as like a technical pole vaulter, uh, I really like watching Maxim Tarasov jump. Like his his vault to me is uh, that's as far as like technical technically that's like the goat for, in my opinion. Like just the I, I full, agree. I mean, just beautiful art artwork. It's just it's incredible. Almost like flawless. I mean, you could not be like, hey, you need to improve this. It, the only thing you can do is get a little faster and a little stronger for him to jump to improve because there's nothing else that he can do to improve. Right. How tall is he? I think he was six, four or five. Six, four or five. And to have like a long guy like that, vault like that, it's really hard to have those really swinging, those really long limbs and things like that. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. But all right, Garrett, here's a question. So we were talking about the goat earlier. So you saying Mondo, and I, I would agree. Um, but is Renault, is Renault have any like in the top three, like any, could, oh, he, yeah. could he beat out well, Bupka possibly? I don't think he beat out Bupka. I, I mean, I think Renault is, he's actually my, my all-time favorite pole vaulter just because, you know, he's a little guy. I like the way he jumps. I think he kind of changed the sport a little bit and helped shift um, the, the overall consensus on the ideal technique from everyone being kind of pure Petrov model type guys to realizing, oh, hey, like you can jump really high and break the world record with a different style. Um, so he's, he's my all, all time favorite pole vaulter mainly because of that. And because he's, he's a littler guy, which, you know, I always like to look at the short guys pole vault, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, no, I think he's in, he's in my top three, uh, my top three, it obviously just be Buka Mondo and, uh, Renault for sure. The energy, the energy off of Renault, man, like watching him pull vault, like just the sheer energy and emotion that he puts into it was, is so much fun to watch. Like that's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he comes in and he hits that pole with every ounce that he has as hard as he can. And, and that's kind of what I like. I I like watching those really aggressive pole vaulters. It's kind of funny. I I mean, uh, I know that the, it's a pretty common um, opinion that, that everyone loves Max Tarasov's jump. And, and I think it's extremely beautiful, but I actually think that there's a lot of other guys that come in and hit the pole a lot better. I think he, he was amazing on the pole and so graceful, but I really like the pole vaulters that come in and just throw their life into the poles. <laughs> kind of like what we call it. Like, yeah. like Mondo and Renault are like textbook examples of just throwing their life into the pole. Like those guys are down to die for their pole vault. And yeah. like, that's the kind of like, that's what I really like watching in, in jumps personally. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Do you ever struggle with that coaching kids? Uh, just because it's like you're, you're, you're running a business and you're, and you, uh, you have to keep kids safe, but like, and it's just like, it's just like there, there, they has to, there has to be that little aspect of a pole vaulter. You have to sell out at a certain point. Like you have to just be like, dude, the money is just on the other side of that comfort zone. And you have to, you gotta go for it and you gotta sell out. Do you ever struggle with like teetering that line between safety and as you would state, uh, throwing your life into the pole? Yeah. I mean a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as I get to know each kid, you know, I get to know how they react under each, uh, under certain circumstances. And so like maybe, 
uh, when I first start coaching them, I'll be much more conservative in kind of what I do and whether I move them up a pull on a third attempt or move their grip up. But, you know, as I get to know them and I see how they handle those stressors, like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take some risks with, with some of them if it, you know, if it, the reward is great enough in a meet, um, for sure. But it's just a balance, you know, uh, obviously the end goal is just to put them on a pole that stops at the right place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for the most part, you know, if they hit the bar on the way up, they go up the pole. If they don't hit the bar on the way up, then they stay on the same pole and they pull vault better. Right. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, the, you know, the qualification of your coach and, and, and the ability, uh, of your coach to teeter that line that I think that's what makes the best coaches as well. Like being able to tell when a kid is like, okay, you can get, you can go a little more, you can go three flex points higher or whatever, uh, or lower, um, or, or whatever. If, if, uh, if you're the coach, that's, that's a really important thing for a coach to be able to recognize and be able to tell an athlete whenever it's time to back off and whenever it's time to continue to press and, uh, you know, maybe move a bigger stick or whatnot. So, right. Right. You know, I think that there, there's definitely a fine line, you know, it's like, like I said earlier, it's like, you can become the best pole vaulter in the world, but if you can't do it on a big stick, you're not going to do it over big bars. So knowing how to progress safely and, you know, progress kids with their grip and, um, with going up poles and getting on different length poles, like that's a huge aspect of becoming a good pole vaulter that, I don't think that there's a lot of conversation around, you know, I see a lot of conversation around ideal technique, but, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, I've learned from my dad and and he did an outstanding job um, as, as my coach and a lot of other people's coach growing up is just like how to progress you and, and put you on those bigger poles in a safe way that allows you to kind of maximize your potential. Well, one of the safest ways you can do it too is making sure you don't have any um, gaps in your pole series. And that's the challenge. I think that most high school kids mm-hmm. have that aren't part of a club that have invested a lot of money into, um, having a good set of poles, but that makes it so much easier for us to progress our kids through without taking a whole lot of risk. We can go up, you know, small increments and we don't have any gaps in our pole series. So we, you know, we can go up five pounds and, um, and methodically go through without putting the kids at risk. And that, I think that's huge for, for anyone to, to, to be able to have access to that. Absolutely. And I think one really great thing that's starting to come up in the U.S. is these uh, pole vaulting gyms and pole vaulting clubs um, providing some sort of rental service Um, because at these high schools, they're left with, you know, it's hard because they have to make a big investment into a pole. And I'm sure you guys get this all the time. A kid will come to you in, um, I don't know, let's say September and they're like, Hey, uh, my coach wants to buy me a pole for, for March, you know, <laughs> what one do you want that's, them to buy? <laughs> that's always the hardest question to answer. And the question <laughs> that the, the answer is don't buy them. See if you can find a place to rent, yeah. rent from because the, you know, they what, don't like that answer. <laughs> they, they don't like that answer. But the thing is, is that like the investment into that, you know, if you know anything about the pole vault, you know that the chances of them being, especially in a developmental like age, like high school, 
the chances of them being on the same poll, like in September as they are in March is like very, very slim. And, uh, so then you're just left to predict it. And if you can, if you can get it, you know, provide a, a cost-effective, you know, rental service, it really, really helps, you know, maybe with, with some exchange policy, like, Hey, if I write one and I can exchange it out or whatnot, um, then that's a really big problem that I think is starting to slowly be solved um, at these high schools through through rental services and well, whatnot. That's what we do with ours. You know, we you know we'll for the cost of so usually we you know we suggest that they rent like three poles at a time, so that way they have a working series of three poles. I mean, obviously, if you can afford more, it's even better. But um, but right. three poles is probably the minimum that you'd want, and they can come in and swap them out and. You know, constantly those three poles might be a different three poles by the end of the season. In fact, almost all likelihood they will be. Exactly. I should, what, I, oh, go ahead. I should preface with uh, that's for non-club members for our club. We, you know, we always, our club members take whatever three poles they want to every single meet. So they, our club members check them out on a per meet basis. But, you know, guys that live a couple hours away or whatever that can't come to our club, we all offer uh, rental service. And you know, I, I think it just kind of ties into your point earlier about, you know, monetizing pole vault a little bit as far as like the club scene goes. We're able to provide a lot more poles than we otherwise would have because we charge for our club and we make money and we're able to put a lot of that money back into to poles, which then allows, you know, us to have a better pole selection, which allows kids to have safer and more consistent progressions. So it kind of goes back into the, you know, charging and, and, and improving the quality of the sport through that. Yeah. And I think the hard thing is, is that, you know, people who genuine, who, who generally get into, um, starting, you know, some sort of, of gym or, or club or whatnot for the pole vault. Generally, those are people who have that like service mindset. Like I'm, I want to serve the community that's been so good to me and I want to do all these things. And they, they have a hard time charging for Mm -hmm. it. Like there's so many times where people will come in and they'll be like, well, I just need this pole. And, and, and can I just take it? And I'm like, well, there's five other people in the next class that need that pole. And then I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how I can get them the pole, but it's like, you know what? No, we're going to charge a really, really good price to rent the pole. And then after it's rented a few times, I can buy another one. So then I can provide that pole to two people, you know, and, yeah. and, and it, if, it, as long as it's not, you know, an outlandish price, um, it's, it's very fair and it's very, it's very useful and it solves a problem. Um, and anything that you can come up with, you know, that really solves a problem is going to really help, help the people that we serve. And, uh, you know, for us it's like, you know, you can't rent a, pair of skis for a day, you know, for the amount that we charge for our, uh, rentals. Um, but we let you take the pole for a whole month and you can sleep with it at night. You can, you can do whatever <laughs> you want, man, like take it and go and, and have fun with it. And, uh, and I think that that is like you had said, Garrett, as we were talking about it earlier is what we have to get away from is like this whole mentality of, um, you know, you, you have to, you have to have some, money involved in order to build and create a really, really good system and product. And, and, um, I think in the U S we're, we're starting to do that. And I think that it already has like 
provided. It's already, if you think about like Dean in 1983, I mean, compared to the amount of opportunity that a pole vaulter has now compared to 1983, is it even comparable? Not even comparable. I, I literally would only, I only did track during track season. And now it's like, you know, our kids do it year round here. And right. if I would have had access to, you know, a club that I could train the other nine months out of the year, I, I think I would have jumped a, a lot better in high school. Right. And that shows, I mean, there's people, there's high school boys that are jumping 18 plus, you know, and there's, and there's, uh, High school girls that are, you know, multiple high school girls jumping 14 plus, you know, it's just, it's a very, um, it, it is growing. And I really think that it is because of people like you guys starting, you know, your clubs and, and all of the different clubs around the country that are starting to come up. I think it's really a cool, cool thing. Um, Absolutely. Go ahead. Hey, one sec. I'm going to go take a little quick bathroom break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No problem. No problem at all. Me, me and Dean will just keep talking. Don't bring the phone with no you. No worries. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dean, what, um, I'm just curious, what is going back to that eighties? Like what's, what's the difference between the pole vaulters now and, and the pole vaulters in the eighties and nineties? Let's, let's go with elite. Let's go with the elite ones. What's the difference? Um, you know, it, it's hard to say, um, you know, like I, I don't want to say that, you know, back then they were any better or worse. Um, you know, just, they're just different. Uh, I'm not even sure in what way, cause you know, the guys are got guys that are jumping higher now than they were back in the day. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I, I can't even tell you. I mean, it's, to me, it's, um, the guys that I competed against, they were the, some of the toughest competitors, um, around, you know, and that's, you know, I was exposed to that on a daily basis. You really get to know them. Um, you know, the, the, the elites that I have here now, like I've, I've spent, you know, like with Garrett and Trey and, um, and Nate, you know, those, those guys, I'm around them every single day, you know, and, and, uh, and I try and give them the same kind of, um, philosophy and, and, uh, you know, I guess challenges that, that I had, you know, back, back when I was vaulting. Um, I don't know if every elite vaulter today has the influences from former elite vaulters from back when I was going, but we all have a similar, you know, similar philosophy about how hard we trained and, you know, and how we, you know, approached the, the mental side of vaulting. Um, but, you know, I, I think the elites today, I mean, they, they do a great job. I mean, um, you know, you know, guys like, you know, Chris Nielsen and like that, you know, watch, watch those guys jump. They, they're doing fantastic. So what opportunity did you have after college? Where did you train and, and how, how did you manage that? Because I know that whenever I got out of school, um, you know, it's difficult because there's not a lot of support. Um, you know, I was a 550 guy in college. And so coming out a 550 guy, it's like, oh man, I don't, I know nobody's really going to give me any money to do anything. And nobody's, you know, I might have a place to train and things like that. And I might be able to get into meets. So how did you, yeah, I mean, yeah you were in a better spot. You were, I think five seventy ish. Yeah. 569. Okay. Um, so, so how did you, how did you manage to get through that? So, um, when, when I, when I first, when I jumped at 569, um, 
I have one meet scheduled in, in Europe. And so, um, so I basically, you know, I, I didn't even think about where I was going to train the, the next, the next season. I just went over to Europe and I bought a, a, a plane ticket for three months. I'm just like, I'm going to go there for the whole summer and, um, and I'll just figure it out when I get there. And so I bought a URL pass and a plane ticket. Um, and I went to Finland. I went to that one meet and I show up there and I won the meet. I jumped like 17, eight. And then I asked a meet promoter. I'm like, Hey, I go, is there, are there any other meets in Finland? And, you know, I heard there was a circuit here and, uh, he's like, well, he goes, you don't have anything else set up. And I'm like, nothing. And I go, I have no idea. I have no idea where I'm even staying tomorrow. And, uh, he's like, Oh, he goes, all right. He goes, let me see what I can do. And he goes, how much, how much money do you want to, uh, do you need to make in these meets? I'm like, and I had no idea. Like, you know, I knew I got 500 bucks at that meet. I'm like, um, a thousand a meet. And uh, he's like, he goes, okay. He goes, let me make some phone calls. So he went in into his office and I'm watching him through the window of his office. I'm on the outside of it. And he's talking to the people and he came out and he was like, okay. He goes, I have three meets for you to go to next week. Um, and he goes, there's going to be one for $750, one for a thousand. And then there's one for 1500. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, I go, can you set up my whole summer for me? <laughs> right. Like he goes, yeah, I, 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 I can help you out. So, so I like, so that next week I made, you know, several thousand dollars and that's they're all appearance fees. appearance fees. Okay. And, and, and so um, that's more money than I've ever had in my entire life. And all of a sudden I'm like, all right, I want to do this all summer long. Right. You know, so I did like three meets that, that next week. And then, um, and then it kind of got a little more sporadic, you know, throughout the summer. I think I had another 20 meets, um, you know, throughout the summer. And so I, I think I ended up clearing like $30,000 or something like that. Um, Dang, that's not bad. Had that in cash, you know, just, just to, to set myself up for training the next year. And that, that to me was important because I had no way to make money. I didn't have a job. I didn't even know where I was going to train. Um, and then Jerry Clayton, who was my coach in, um, in college, uh, had gotten a hold of me. He's like, Hey, he goes, I got the job as the head coach at Texas state at the t- time it was called Southwest Texas state. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, you know, if you want to come and, and still, you know, train with me, he goes, then, you know, I'll have you be the assistant, volunteer assistant coach for the pole vault. And then I'll coach you, you know, when, when I can. And, um, and so I'm like, all right, so that was my first training situation. I had, you know, enough money saved up to get me through to the next summer. And so I just budgeted and, you know, I didn't have a job at that point and he coached me and, um, but it it was kind of tough because I I don't really like Texas that much. Um, you know, as far as, you know, the, the, the training situation there and all that, it was, it was kind of hard because he was, it was his first year as a head coach. So the time that he had to spend with me was, wasn't as much as I was hoping and I didn't have anyone to really train with. Um, you know, I, I, I trained a little bit with, um, you know, with uh, Scott Henning and yep. Salato. They were two of my vaulters there. And then, you know, we trained together and stuff. But, um, but anyway, I was going to move back to Illinois then and, and, um, and go train with Lane Lore. Mm. And then Jan Johnson had called me up. Literally, I'm sitting there with an empty apartment and everything's in my U-Haul. I'm ready to take off for Illinois. And... Um, and Dan's like, Hey, don't, don't move out to Illinois. He goes, come out to California. And, uh, I'm like, all right, I think I'll do that. So I went out that, that day and, and uh, instead of heading to Illinois, headed out to, to California and he put me up in his guest house and, um, you know, just a, just a little garage conversion. And he's like, yeah, just stay as long as you need to until you can find your own place. And, 
So that's kind of how I got started out in California. And that's where my training base stayed for the rest of my career. That's awesome. That is, uh, yeah. So you, you definitely knew about the sky systems and everything back then. Oh, Actually, yeah. you were in a few sky systems. I was in them. I was yeah. In I was going to say, yeah. Were you the one who broke the pole in that one? I don't think so. It was one. Yeah. He kind of looked like you. Um, anyway, so what is Garrett, what is the hardest part for you as uh, far as, uh, training after college? What's been, what's been the biggest struggle? Would you say? Um, so, you know, my situation is different from most people. Obviously I've got a pole vault pit in my backyard. So the training situation itself is, is not really a, a difficult situation for me. I mean, I get to, I get to coach for, for a living, which is nice. And that makes the schedule super easy. But, um, the biggest struggle for me has just been, um, a hamstring injury that I've been dealing with since, uh, probably college. I, I uh, pulled my hamstring and I've, you know, kind of just struggled with uh, repetitive injury in that same area for, um, you know, pretty much my whole career since college. So um, just dealing with that, trying to trying to stay healthy through a whole season. And and that's, yeah, that's been a big struggle for me. And this year is looking pretty good. You know, I, I've been pretty big on on training hard and lifting and getting as strong as I can my whole life. And I think that getting really strong in the weight room was uh, a huge, uh, part of what led me to be the pole vaulter that I am and get me my horsepower. But, um, this year was something that's been kind of cool is actually cutting out the weight room, uh, completely. And my hamstring has actually stayed a lot healthier. So, um, mm. I'm not really sure exactly what's going on there. It's not that I'm an advocate for not lifting. Um, I, I still think lifting is a great thing, but for me, I kind of, tapped out in there, you know, I was, I was cleaning 315 weighing 160 pounds. So it was kind of like not really necessary to get any stronger in the weight room. And literally like, I mean, I could probably, it's just the kind of those genetics you're talking about. I could take a couple months off or, I mean, I could probably go in the weight room right now and power clean 300 pounds if I wanted to, and I haven't lifted in a year. Um, so this year, like our tactic was like, let's just eliminate something and see what happens, um, with that hamstring. So I eliminated lifting and haven't had any hamstring issues at all, like this entire fall. And I just had my first competition actually in two years. The, the last time I competed was, uh, Mexico city, March of 2020, where I set my PR jump 562 there. And right after that meet, um, started having some hamstring issues. So I took some time off, uh, and, and worked on rehabbing that. And, um, it took a lot longer than I expected. I tried to do a meet and tweak my hamstring in, in the meet in April, I think, and kind of went, took some time off of pole vaulting. It took, it took a good amount of time off of training and pole vaulting in general and, uh, and kind of debated whether I even wanted to keep pole vaulting or not, which was kind of crazy because, you know, I think a lot of people, go through this. So when they've been pole vaulting for so long, it becomes a huge part of your identity, you know, and huge. deciding whether you want to to stop pole vaulting or not is kind of a, a scary question. Um, but yeah, did some little bit of soul searching and decided to just keep on going and, and, uh, and just try something else, you know, like, uh, there's always something else to, to try and see if I can figure it out. So, so far that's been, it's been working really well and had my first meet, uh, like I said, this past weekend. And it was just like so much fun to get out there. You know, I was competing, competing with your brother, Luke. So got to, 
yeah. say hi to him. And it's just, you know, it's so fun to get back out there and hang out with all the elite guys that, you know, I haven't seen in a while. So it's really cool. That's awesome. And I think, uh, you bring up a good point. I mean, life is fluid too. And a lot of people think in absolutes, like, uh, you know, whenever I was training, it was like, all right, I'm going in the weight room and this is the way I'm going to get good. And then something happens. And then I'm like, well, now I'm not gonna be able to get good because I'm not in the weight room or, or whatnot. Right. But the thing is, is that you can, you know, there's nothing, nobody, nothing that says that you can't, you know, do something that's, you know, maybe the weight rooms always worked for you. And then you start to be like, you know what, let's try this other way. And then a year from now, you might be like, Hey, let's add the weight room back, you know, like, and let's like, right. it, it, you can go in and out and all around. Like there is no absolute, like I have to do this or else, you know, I can never do it again. You know, I mean, and people, you know, when he, uh, when he had made that decision, I think he, you know, initially he struggled with it a little bit because that he'd been doing that for so long and, and he thought there was going to be, the, you know, some risk to, to not doing it. Cause we'd talked about this even before. And, um, but you know, then our gut feeling was, you know, there's an imbalance potentially in his body or there's a recovery issue going on or something We're like, you know, you see other vaulters, you know, even like Mondo, he didn't do a whole lot of weight room stuff when he, you know, before he was jumping 19 feet. So right. we knew it wasn't a hundred percent necessary to do it. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, and the thing is, is whenever I look back on my own career and I'm sure Dean, you can look back on this and, and Garrett, you too. There are some times that I just was vaulting good and I can't even really mm -hmm. point to something that I was like particularly doing. Like I, I can't point to it and be like, I was doing good this year because I was doing this. I was power cleaning a lot, or I was doing a lot of, of, you know, bounds or whatever, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just like a mystery. It's just like, well, I don't even know. I just, I just vaulted really well for a few weeks, you know, during that yeah. season. <laughs> Pole vault's a strange beast, man. I mean, something that I try and get across to, to my kids is it, it never stays good and it never stays bad. I mean, yeah. I'd say for most, for, for most people, unless you're Mondo or Chris Nilsson, who have these just like, crazy linear progressions i'd say for most people it really comes in ebbs and flows and it's like a lot of times like i i you'll have your best days and your best meets like when you're the least prepared which is kind of interesting you know you stay out late the night before you you know didn't get to eat the right thing or whatever you show you, up late you, to le the meet, you left your spikes you at the hotel well. yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pole vault's just a weird beast like that where, it, you know, you jump well at the least expected times, but, uh, but yeah, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, I, like my dad can elaborate more on this, but I know he's had years where he tried to, you know, be really, really serious and disciplined. And those were his worst years and the years that he kind of let loose and had a little bit more fun in his everyday life, you know, he jumped a lot better. And so, you know, right. it's interesting. I think that is I think that that is true, but I think that that is true in certain people. Like for you, for you two, you never probably had a, had to deal with a lack of motivation. You probably right. always had to deal with over motivation, you know, where it mm -hmm. was just like, all I do all day and all night is think about this and try to get better and, and try to analyze things so that I can be the best I can be. So for a person like that, I think that 
adding more relaxation and more of a mm-hmm. chilled out person like mode. I think for a person like that, it works really, really well. But I think we all know people that are the other side though, too, that are like, dude, you need the other way where it's like, you need to be more regimented and, and taking care of business, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. At that, at that point, you just got to recognize like what kind of person you are. You know, for me, it's like, it's interesting, you know, nowadays it's like, I don't look for more days to work out. I look for more days to rest. So it's like any day that, you know, the universe gives me a rest day. I kind of just try and take it now. Cause I'm like, all right, that's like, it's a good opportunity to just recover. Whereas I'd say for a lot of people, you know, they need to have more of the mentality. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to train on Christmas morning. I'm going to like, I'm going to work out as much as I can, or I'm going to, you know, spend as much time as I can trying to accomplish this goal. You just got to kind of figure out what type of person you are and figure out the balance there. Cause everyone has a natural tendency towards one way or the other. Right. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, probably with you two, and I know for, for me growing up, uh, people would ask, you know, well, uh, we can do this on Christmas morning. Right. And it's like, well, no, cause we've got to, got to work out. It's like, <laughs> what do you mean? You, you don't take that off, you know? And, uh, and looking back on it in hindsight, like I have the personality, where it's like, no, you do need to take it off and you do need mm-hmm. to freaking chill well, out. <laughs> well, no, when it, I used to do it strictly because of the mentality. I'm like, I'm training on Thanksgiving. I'm training on Christmas and I'm going to do it because I know nobody else is doing it. And, and I did it just for my own personal um, mentality. And I made the mistake of carrying that mentality over into our pole vault club early on. And I would schedule practice on like Christmas afternoon or the morning of Thanksgiving. And, you know, I tell the kids, I'm like, look, nobody else is training on these days. If you want to get ahead, this is what you do. And so the kids were coming on those days. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, I got like 15 kids here on Christmas day. Right. And don't you guys have family stuff to do? They're like, yeah, but I'd rather be here. Pole walking. I'm like, so after a few years of doing that, I started thinking about it going, you know what? I'm like, even though it, it does, it, it serves no practical purpose, really. Um, it was more just a, you know, just, just to say you did it. And, and all that. So I stopped doing that um, a long time ago, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, I think we can sacrifice that all the kids now train really hard. They don't need that, that day to, to be able to, to make them mentally tough and, and all that. So they do plenty of other stuff. So once we kind of got past that, um, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> right. Right. That's where like, do you, do you guys uh, follow uh, David Goggins at all? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's like where like a David Goggins to like a person like, like you guys is probably not a good thing because then it's mm-hmm. like exacerbating the problem. It's like, exactly. Oh, okay. He's doing it too. So I, you know, and, and then you, you end up uh, being like some crazy person, you know, and, and there is balance to everything. And actually I have a question here. Uh, this, speaking of balance, Garrett, this might, uh, be a tough one. So answer this, okay. uh, I'm ready. answer this properly. <laughs> um, so I know that after I was out of college and started to go after my post-collegiate career, um, my girlfriend at the time, I actually know she was my fiance at the time. Uh, it was difficult because I had this goal that I wanted to 
you know, become the best pole vaulter I could become. And in order to do that, I, I convinced myself that I had to travel all over the place to every single meet and I couldn't miss any meets, you know, and things like that. So how do you Mm -hmm. balance, uh, that with your significant others? And I, Garrett, you can go first and then Dean, uh, you could remember back to, to when that was going on. Yeah. I mean, I think my dad and I all have kind of similar situations because we both, uh, you know, both ended up with pole vaulters. So, you know, my wife, Alex, she, she's a pole or she actually just recently retired from pole vaulting, but, uh, you know, she was a pole vaulter. When we met, we met at a track meet and, uh, we both had similar goals. We were both post collegiate at the time and both, you know, very motivated and willing to make a lot of sacrifices for that. And so, um, you know, for, most of our relationship, we've been going to the same meets, we train together, um, all of that together. So it's been really easy for us. And she, she totally understands everything that goes into being an elite pole vaulter and the traveling and like the recovery and, you know, maybe not going out to every single party or get together that your friends are throwing because you need to stay in to get a good night's sleep for your, for your jump session the next day. And, eating healthy and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, I'm, I, I can't imagine what it's like, uh, having a significant other that, that isn't in the same boat with that, you know, cause it, it you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of temptations out there to like, go eat like crap all the time and, you know, drink when you're not supposed to or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we've always been on exactly the same page as far as that goes. And even now it, she's, she just retired as a pole vaulter but her mom was a world-class 800 meter runner. She was actually a two-time European champion in the 800. So she's now decided to train for the 800 and give that a go and no run way. her mom's race. So, yeah. So now even though she's done pole vaulting, she's still in the same boat. We're still, you know, staying disciplined, training, eating right and getting good night's sleep together. So, um, it yeah, it's well. pretty awesome. It works out so great. Well, what about you, Dean? Well, so I have similar. Uh, similar in some respects, but different in others. So, um, so, uh, I was married to, to Garrett's biological mom, um, as for my first marriage and in the early part of my career. And, and so I didn't have a good balance then. So I, I went, I'd go to Europe and I'd take off for a month at a time and I made no, no sacrifices athletically. I mean, I was, whatever was best for my athletic career, that's what I did, which, um, is not the greatest thing for, for a relationship. And, um, so I think that didn't, that didn't do us any favors at all. Um, with Jill, when, you know, we got together, um, I learned from my past mistakes and, you know, and I brought her with to Europe and, you know, kind of made it a little more of an integrated thing and we worked, you know, through things together. And so made it a lot more tolerable. So definitely made some mistakes early on, learned from those and, and, you know, made some, made some adjustments, which, which made it a lot better. And, um, but definitely being a park's tough. That's the, that's would be the toughest part. Yeah. Being a part. And do you guys ever, uh, find that being, you know, running, uh, AZ PVA is kind of difficult with, uh, balancing, you know, Garrett, you know, balancing with your wife, like, Oh, I gotta, you know, I got, maybe I got to cover these people, you know, these coaches, maybe they can't coach tonight. Or do you ever run into problems like that? Not 
really, we, you know, we, she actually coaches, um, for us too. She coaches, uh, the weightlifting classes that we now, uh, hold. So we actually, we run a sports performance club as well as, uh, the pole vaulting club. And so she helps coach with the sports performance and our schedules actually are pretty similar. They end up overlapping. She coaches, um, sports performance a lot of the same times that I'm coaching pole vault. So that, that actually works out pretty, pretty dang well for us. That's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, it, we're, it's you pretty got ideal, it, man. I'm, I'm a lucky, I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that and it also helps. And then for you, Dean, it helps. I mean, everything's just right there, right? Isn't it just yeah, like at your house? The greatest thing is like so. Jill will be out there um, teaching kids how to ride horses and doing all that stuff in the arena, and the arena is right next to the pole vault area. And so, you know, she's sitting out there. I can kind of see what she's doing. She can see what I'm doing on, on that side. So we're, you know, even though we're not like, you know, hanging out with each other at that time, we're still in this general vicinity and all that. Um, and we see each other all day because, um, you know, we're home all day long until we do our lessons in the evening. And then, and then we're back inside after that. So, um, and we don't, we don't travel a whole lot. Um, you know, you know, I'll go to a handful of meets with the guys, but most of the time I'm staying back and taking care of practice here and holding down the fort. Um, and then, you know, trying to, 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 to go to meets with these guys if I can, but it, the travel is not an issue anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there's two, um, elite pole vault camps in, uh, in Arizona, um, you guys, and then, um, what I'm drawing Nick a blank Heisman. Nick's yeah. place, Nick Heisman. risen, risen, yeah. risen performance or yeah. So, uh, how is that? Is there a rivalry? Is it? cordial is it just do you guys it's a it's a it's a cordial friendly rivalry because we're all friends in fact a a bunch of the guys they they live in the same house and so a couple of guys go train at risen a couple of guys you know train here and um and nick is you know one of my best friends so we have a a great relationship we're far enough apart where we don't really step on each other's toes you know from a you know from a you know a kid's perspective so so it's fun. We, and, you know, sometimes they'll come here and, and do our competitions. Sometimes our guys will go over there and do a competition. So it's, it's a pretty good relationship. Right. Right. So growing, going, uh, back to, you know, Garrett growing up pole vaulting and then your daughter, uh, Taylor, um, who is also an, who is also an incredible pole vaulter. Um, what, what challenges did you have coaching your kids? as they were getting older, I'm sure there wasn't, it wasn't just all sunshine and rainbows all the time. You know, so Garrett and I have had a, a, a an amazing coach athlete relationship. Um, you know, uh, out there, you know, he, he looks at me as a coach. He calls me Dean. He doesn't call me dad. Well, <laughs> most of the time he would call me Dean just to kind of set up the, the attitude. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, that way we knew this was, this was business and, and that was great. Garrett was really good at taking, um, coaching advice didn't, you know, a lot of kids, uh, will, will doubt their, their, their parent and they don't want to hear it. Um, you know, cause they've heard it a million times. And so it can be contentious. Um, you know, with, with Taylor, um, our, our practice sessions would be tougher, um, because she would get, it would get a little more contentious. Um, and then competitions, she was amazing to coach during competition. So I really enjoyed coaching her in competitions. Uh, more so than practice, um, just because she was able to, with her adrenaline, I think she just felt better in meets. And so it made her easier to coach. And she was just like literally push button. I, I could say, go up a pole, raise your grip, you know, a couple inches. And every 
change that we'd make would would result in a uh, a good jump for her, and she she was really good at delivering during during me. So we we had an awesome time doing that. That's awesome. And then Garrett, so how have you, you know, having, um, your dad as a coach, like I, I had my dad as a coach and, and he still uh, coaches at our place. And, and we, you know, it's, it's difficult because, uh, you spend a lot of time with each other and things like that. Um, it was, I would, it was the coolest thing in the absolutely coolest thing in the world. Um, just an amazing experience. Um, but how, how have you continued to, have you ever gone to the place of doubting your dad's, uh, coaching ability or, or anything like that? Cause I know that I struggled towards the end of my career. I was, uh, I just, I wasn't in a good place and I started is con like, the story of the prodigal son, you know, like I, I kind of was mm-hmm. like, well, maybe this is not what's going to get me over that, you know, 580 bar or whatever. And, and, you know, you go and you start kind of having wandering eyes and you start looking other places and then you're like, dog on it. My dad's right. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd say in general, I haven't really doubted him at all I mean it's just like we're all almost always on the same page with what we want to accomplish and you know growing up like I would talk to him about pole vault non-stop like so much so that he would be like Garrett like shut up like yeah. <laughs> you got you, you gotta you gotta turn off the pole vault sometimes so I, I mean I've always loved talking to him about pole vault and obviously I mean he's super successful pole vaulter right so he he was always my hero growing up um you know it it his accomplishments speak for himself there. So it it made it a lot easier. I think that the fact that I watched him pole vault, I watched him be successful and and train hard. And so it was really easy to look up to him and have him as a a role model. Um, And then now like post collegiately, like obviously the, the longer I've been in the sport, the more I think for myself and and whatnot, but still like, you know, we talk about what changes we want to make and, and we collaborate on those and, and we always make sure we're on the same page. There'll definitely be times where like, you know, he'll, he'll be trying to get me to do something and, you know, maybe I can't do it and I get frustrated and kind of think about something else or get distracted by something else that I want to work on. And then one day I'll finally hit it and be like, wow, like what he was wanting me to do. And I'll be like, wow, it felt really good. Like, and, you know, we always joke, like, why haven't you ever told me about this whole, like, <laughs> getting your chest into the pole thing, dad? Like, right. you know, and, and we'll joke about it. I mean, we, we always make it fun in games, but um, I'd say in general, not really. Like, we, we're always on the same page. There'll just be, like, little times where I'll maybe get distracted by something. And, and there's definitely been times where it's like, you know, my dad will, be, you know, be pretty adamant about something. And I'll finally do it and be like, all right, you were right. And, uh, and yeah, and well, you know, we always make not just with Garrett, but with any of my athletes, um, I'm not going to give them a whole lot of room to doubt me because I'm also giving them the opportunity to go and, and, and have wandering eyes. I, I encourage every one of my athletes to, to get information from other sources, bring me ideas. If you think you want to try something, then I'm, I'm open-minded enough. It's not a, a my way or the highway type of thing. I have my ideas and, and process and things that I like to do. But if someone really wants to try something different or they're, you know, they have a different way of wanting to do it, I'm always open. I'm like, all right, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. And, um, and so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, I'll know 
you know, I'll let them know if I think it's a mistake, I'll be like, let's try it. But I think it's a mistake. I'll give my, you know, my feedback on it, but I'm always willing to, to, to listen. And, and I've never been closed minded on, on anything like that. So I don't think, so I don't want to, I don't want that responsibility of, um, taking away somebody's potential opportunity to, to learn something or do something that they think is good for them. You know, cause I've seen how that people, how that can sabotage people. And, um, and, you know, I don't ever want that to happen. I want everyone to have a say in what they're doing. Yeah. And I, I would agree. I would agree with that for sure. Um, but <clears throat> there is something to be said for somebody who's been doing something as long as you have. Mm-hmm. And you have seen trends come in and trends leave and this new technical thing is going to be the answer. And then that thing (laughs) goes to the wayside, you know, so you, and that's, that's something that kids who work with you and kids who work with my dad and, and, and me personally, whenever I was working with my dad is, is this just like, I have to sit down and remember that my dad has been in his game for 50 years. (laughs) Like, like, Holy cow. Okay. He might understand, you know, so before I bring him an idea, I really need to think about this because he's pro the chances of him seeing that idea before and tossing it away after trying it are probably pretty high, you know? So that's, mm-hmm. I, you know, what I've always I think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think if there's, there's two ways to describe Dean as a coach, it's like, he's open-minded to, to just about everything. And, and he has, zero coaches ego. Like, I mean, zero coaches ego. He just wants to help you and guide you to be the best pole vaulter you can. And it's very different. I think from a lot of other coaches where it's like, he's not really a dictator. He's not kind of telling you what to do all the time. It's a little bit more hands off and kind of like guiding you. And, uh, you know, after every jump, he'll ask you how it felt and, you know, he wants your input. So it's like, it's more, it's a lot more of like an athlete to coach relationship and kind of like a team group project, you know, it's not uh, necessarily as much as like a leader or dictator telling you how to do it. Um, it, it feels a lot more like a group project and, and we've gone down a lot of stupid rabbit holes, we call them where it's just like, you know, we'll be chasing some new technique trend or whatever. And, and we'll give them all a solid try. I mean, if, any technique item that you can think of, like you name it. And we've fallen down that rabbit hole, whether it's having a huge chest drive or like, you know, really big bottom arm or like really early swing, or maybe trying to keep your hips down, whatever it may be. We've, we've given almost everything a solid shot, even double leg swinging. You know, we tried to like convert over to that. And it's like, we've tried it just a bunch of different crazy things. And, uh, all have their benefits, even if they like didn't stick around, you know, you learn something from each little rabbit hole that you, that you fall into. But, um, yeah. Yeah. And you'll be able to take those things. The cool part is, is that the, the, what my, what my dad, you know, my dad started pole vaulting in his backyard with a Folgers coffee can as buried in the ground as his box and Southern Illinois, just really, really, really grassroots and, uh, Mm -hmm. taught himself how to do it. And through his trial and error, you know, like you were saying, like, I see this new thing or I read it in a book or I see it in a video and it's like, well, I'm going to try that. And, you know, so you give half your season to trying that and well, well, it didn't work. Well, that sucks. You know, most people would think, well, that was a waste of time. Fast forward 40 years. And now that system that he 
made from refining that that you know process of trial and error he's just whittled it down to where it's like boom now we have like a way of instructing people where it cuts through the bs and we know that it you know is a good way of instructing people because of that trial and error so there'll be one kid that probably has a double leg swing and can't help himself yeah but through you going through that, now you can take that and you can be like, Hey, I've actually tried that. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, exactly. I can help you with it. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So and that's uh that's anyway, yeah. What's up? Yeah, I'd say it, he also really doesn't have like a like a technical model, like like a strict technical model, I'd say, right. you know, like because everyone has their strengths and weaknesses that they kind of bring to the table and like, you know, you just trying to tries to puzzle and and problem solve like how each person can get the most out of their jump. Um, I'd say his biggest strength as a coach more than anything, not that he doesn't have technical knowledge, but his, his biggest strength isn't really his knowledge of like technique or, or anything like that. I'd say his biggest strength is motivation and inspiring people. And like literally any person that gets coached by him will believe in the best version of themselves, you know? And I think that that's like, the best part about, you know, my dad's coaching and his philosophy is just making people believe in themselves, dream big and accomplish it. You know, that's doesn't sound too shabby. Sounds like a good coach <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get out of here, um, I, there was one more question. What do you, you guys always seem like you're up to stuff like, uh, outside of pole vaulting, like riding motorized vehicles, riding, uh, <laughs> horses, <laughs> like all kinds of random stuff. So what are you guys oh, doing yeah. in your off time? Garrett, Garrett has another obsession besides pole vaulting. And it's also my hobby as rock crawling with our Jeeps. And rock crawling. And rock what is, crawling. what is that? There's literally like climbing up rock walls with Jeeps. Like what looks like a water, like waterfalls. And you know, you kind of get back into the, into some pretty remote areas that are like wash, washed out areas. And, um, and it creates a really good terrain for, and, and a very challenging terrain that not many people can go on, but you know, our Jeeps are highly modified. Um, they're, I mean, they're unbelievable. You, you, you wouldn't even believe some of the things these things can crawl up. So you guys do all these modifications yourself or you have the modifications done for you or. So, yeah, we do them ourselves. Garrett has actually become um, a, a pretty good expert, I would say in Jeep TJ, the, the, the type of Jeeps that we have. And, and he rubs elbows with all the, the best in the sport. It's actually a sport. And, really? And he, he rubs elbows with, with some of the top guys that are really well known and will, they'll actually talk to Garrett and, and, you know, answer his questions and they kind of mentor him, um, you know, from, from that perspective and, you know, to be able to get that kind of time from these, these kind of guys is pretty pretty awesome and that's probably a really cool way nice way to get your mind off the vault uh, <laughs> and stuff yeah for sure i mean i think that that was one of the wisest things mondo said in his podcast with you is when when you asked him what three exercises he would do and he said he'd play golf because as one of his exercises because you have to have something to take your mind off of pole vaulting and that's something i think is so important that that I do myself is like, like I got to have something that I obsess over besides pole vault, because like I said, pole vault never stays good and it never stays bad. So you got to have something else in your life that, you know, you can look to. So you're not just bringing home pole vault with you and dwelling on that all day. So 
yeah, I like to build Jeeps. I like to work on them. I like to wheel them really hard and break them and bring them back home and fix them again. Um, it's kind of an absurd sport spending money and time on something you just take out to to beat up on rocks and bring it home and fix it but uh but it's a blast you know i grew up skateboarding like you that was kind of my first like big extreme sport love then surfing then motocross um then uh now jeeps because jeeps are a little bit uh safer to do at the same time as pole vault <laughs> yeah, we literally got rid of all our motorcycles um not too long ago, just because, you know, I was starting to see the the danger in it and we were getting, getting a little too fast and a little too crazy. And I'm like, all right, let's just cut our, cut our, um, not our losses, but we basically, we got out unscathed. Let me put it that way. So here's how the motorcycles happen. So we grew up riding motocross, right. And, and there's that point in time where I crashed my bike and we said no extreme sports because we got to focus on pole vaulting. So, um, we stuck to that philosophy until I was out of college. And then all of a sudden my little sister is wanting to ride dirt bikes again. And so my dad was going to get her a bike and I'm like, Hmm, like maybe I should get a bike just to like go with and like ride on like little trails, you know, like just little trail riding, like nothing bad. And, uh, and then within a year we're doing like 70 foot jumps on, on the bikes again and just like flying at the motocross track. And so that was like, after college. And so we ended up finally selling those because we got to a point where we're just like, all right, this is stupid. Like we need to, to sell these and stay a little safer. So then we got Jeeps instead. <laughs> yeah. At least you got like a roll cage in a, in a Jeep. Yeah. Or whatnot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Arizona is actually probably a really nice place for all your hobbies too. So oh, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you why you chose Arizona. Is there any particular reason? Is that one of the reasons or? No. Um, so what brought us out here is um, when, when I was living in California, um, I was working for the National Academy of Sports Medicine and as a, a contractor and, um, and they, they're basically, you know, we were building all their systems and, and everything um, with my um, former company that I owned. And they asked me um, if if I wanted the job of of being their their vice president of uh, technology, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, well, you know, do I have to move out to Arizona? Like, yeah, you have to move out to Arizona if you want the job. And um, so I'm like, all right, then that's where I'm going. And so that's what brought me out here was um, basically just you know just a a, a great job. That's eh, well, that's what happens with a lot of people. Um, all right. So now we have a little bit of a rapid fire. I'm sure if you've listened before, you probably know this first one. Uh, it is, if you had to pick three exercises to use exclusively to coach and use on yourself for the rest of your life, what would they be? So you can pole vault as much as you want and you can, uh, yeah, that's it. That's the rules. You can pole vault as much as you want. That doesn't count as one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're looking f- for three exercises, um, whether it be sprinting or lifting, that you right, exclusively that. would so, use. Yeah, I would say if I were to pick three very specific ones, I'd say flying tens. Okay. So flying tens is basically a 30 meter run up and run 10 meters as fast as you can. I would say alternate leg bounds. Okay. On the plyometric side. And then hang cleans. And then hang cleans. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, flying tens. That's first I'm trying to think of the other one. I think bounds are the first two. 
So we've, we've had a lot of people answer this question now. And, uh, those are two that I haven't heard. Hang cleans is, is, did you say hang clean or power clean from the floor? Hang cleans. Okay. Yes. Cleans are kind of a staple. I feel like a lot of people, uh, say some sort of power Olympic lifting or whatnot. What about you, Garrett? Similar? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it pretty much identical at flying tens. Number one, um, without a doubt, if I only had one, it would be flying tens, um, two alternate leg bounds, no brainer three. I'm actually going to change. Um, I I'm going to change that to doing some kind of high bar. Uh, so probably boot goes on a high bar just because I think alternate leg bounds and, uh, hang cleans are kind of both work in that same, uh, hip explosiveness that, that triple extension. So I'm going to throw the third one and be, uh, boop goes on a high bar. So how often are you guys doing these fly t- flying tens? Um, flying tens usually once a week, once a week. And then what's your once acceleration into those? Like uh, how, we how go long? Thir- 30 to 40 meter buildup into the, the flying 10. Really? We're not strict on what the actual buildup is because some people skip into it, whatever, whatever you want to do to build up and be as relaxed as you can and top speed during that 10 meters. And are you trapping this and logging it? Yep. Or- yeah. Usually we've, we've got some, uh, some lasers that we use to, to log them. And, you know, if we feel like crap one day, I'm like, all right, we're not bringing the lasers out. I don't want to know how slow <laughs> I'm running, but for the most part, we try and bring them out and log them. And we generally see over the course of the, the year, they, they get faster and faster and faster. So do you have, uh, do you mind sharing what, uh, you use to trap it with like the product? Yeah. My dad can answer that better. We use like a, a horse racing timer, actually. Yeah, we, we actually, my wife uses them for her races. And then I think it's, it's called farm tech. Um, yeah. And it's, it's very, very reliable. Um, you know, and, and it has to be reliable because people, people use this in the horse racing world and, you know, when, you know, we do barrel racing, um, and there's money on the line. So this thing has to be accurate. It has to be reliable. Um, so we've, you know, you're basically just going through a beam and, and, you know, breaking that. So it, it works really well. Sweet. They're super accurate. I mean, within like, we'll get within 0.01, uh, like we'll stay within 0.01 of our time all day. And when we had, uh, one of the original free lap systems. And I remember on that, it was like, uh, it would vary by a lot. And I've heard the new fleet free lap systems are a lot better, but I remember with the original one, I'd run like a one sixteen, and then all of a sudden the next one run a 0.96 and and uh the difference between those is pretty substantial so well and if you if you bring the free lap system any like inside of 10 meters uh which because one one thing that i've always really enjoyed doing is just trapping that last five meters of your run uh in the vault mm-hmm. um and if you bring if you bring that free lap in you know, into that five meters, it gets really wonky and like, doesn't, doesn't accurately, uh, capture it. And, and so I've just always been looking for an economical solution to trap that last five meters to where as a coach, I could just have that thing basically up for all day during classes. And I can just kind of check, you know, okay, you're running whatever, 7.5 or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, so I've always been on, on the lookout for, for one of those, but we, we try, we tried the free lap. And like I said, inside of 10 meters, it, I don't know if it's reliable or not, but yeah. maybe I'm setting it up wrong too. Who knows? 
Okay. Next. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I don't think they're meant to go that close. I remember reading the instructions on that, and because then you start getting the radio interference between the two. Yeah. So it seems like what you're using is actually like a laser that you break, mm -hmm. and then you break the second one. You know, you break the first, and then it starts, and then you break the second, and it stops. So I think that that would be more accurate in my. Yeah, the only downside about that is then you got the pole. If you're if you're trying to do like for sprinting, uh, problem, but if you're trying to like drop the pole in there and all that, that, that could be an issue sometimes. Right. Typically, we found that the pole doesn't break them though. It, it, usually, your your hands are up high enough that it's not breaking them. Or if kid and another big one is if kids are walking like they they take a jump and then they're walking back as the next <laughs> yeah. person as the next person is going it's like all right well whatever maybe for like a private lesson or something that would work. Yeah. Um, so if you could sit down and have a conversation with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be? It's a tough question. Oh, yeah, it is a tough question. <laughs> 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 never thought of it this is a new one this one might <laughs> this might be the last time i i do it we'll see yeah i don't know uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and choose renault just because i i mean like i said he's kind of my pole vault hero i think he's so passionate about pole vault and has such genuine reasons for doing it so i think that he would be really fun to sit down and not even just like have a conversation with, but sit down and have one of those like little backyard pole vault sessions with like, uh, I know Mondo's gone over there and done that and they took a video of it. Like, I think that would be the coolest thing in the world would be to just go do backyard pole vault with, uh, Renault. You better be ready to take like 50 jumps though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That dude jumps that. so much. I saw him at Reno, uh, I forget how many years ago. It was a while ago, but uh, right before he broke the world record and and I saw him the day before the elite competition and he must have took 20 jumps from 10 lefts, you know, 20, 20 strides. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, knob in the end of a 520. I was like, holy cow, man. And then he just went the next day and jumped like 590, you know, yeah. no, no big deal. It's like holy cow, the kind of condition that that guy was in is in really, really insane. What about you, Dean? Yeah, Come up I, with any? Yeah. So you know, I was thinking about conversation. I was thinking if I could sit down and actually, you know, have a, a couple beers with Sergey Bubka. Like we never really talked. I mean, we competed against each other and we were cordial and all that. But we, I don't think he ever sat down and had a conversation with any other pole vaulter. And yeah. it's kind of a mystery, you know. Is that he'd be out there and it was just you know normal. Uh, cordial chit chat, but never actually had a conversation with them. Yeah, and and, uh, and I don't think any other pole vaulters did either. And and, and the Russians even um, probably didn't have a whole lot of conversation with with him either. He just kept to himself. Do you think that that was a personality trait, or like was he just kind of like maybe told like, hey, let's not, you know, we don't talk to Americans or anything like that. <laughs> None of the other Russians were like that. And I mean, I've talked to all the other Russians that I competed against and, um, and Ukrainians and, you know, anyone that, that was Russian speaking. Um, and so I don't necessarily think it was a, a cultural thing or, or anything like that. I think it was more that he had his entourage, you know, he had his, his wife, his brother, his massage therapist, his, you know, his whole support team there. So we, there was really no need for him to go out and socialize where the rest of us were there on our own. So if you're going to talk to anybody, you might as well be hanging out with pole vaulters. And, and so I think, um, you know, he, he was the only vaulter that wasn't really included in any hanging out and doing anything, but you know, we were friends with all the other. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, Mondo, you can see, you know, he goes around with all that that group of of guys, and you know, is having a good time. Zabuka looked very intense, though. Like whenever he competed, it looked like it was a very kind of intense process and and things like that. Um, I don't know, like just from from an outsider's perspective, I don't know. It's like you couldn't even really get a good grasp on you know, did he look like a nice guy to hang out with or was he just like super serious all the time? He looked like he was super serious, but it's yeah. hard, to you know, because he, he never really showed his, you know, the, the, the other side is, you know, you only saw the competitive side of him. And then at the hotel and all that, he's, you know, he's usually just zipping through, never stopped and talked or, or anything like that. So I don't, I don't know, you know, that was just kind of how he was more just a, you know, a private guy. Right. Right. Okay. So last one is music played a really big role in, uh, my career growing up. And, uh, I can like think back on certain meets and they recall certain songs and, and, uh, you know, I can remember warmups where, you know, I had a certain song or something in my headphones. Is there any songs that you, could think of that remind you of a particular time in your pole vaulting career? That's a good question. I, the one time I can think of, I, for, so typically I don't listen to a ton of pump up music. Cause I feel like I like blow too much adrenaline, mm. like before I, I need it when I listen to the pump up music. So I try and just kind of like stay calm, like in warmups and, and not release any, just save it for the meat. Um, but uh, I do remember one time in high school, Nate beat me for the first time at a meet. He uh, he jumped 16 feet, and this was our, our senior year. And I also jumped 16 feet, but he beat me on attempts. And it was the first time he beat me. And I was so mad about it. I was listening to like some like screamo songs um, for like the rest of the week. And, uh, I remember like the whole day leading up to like the next meet, I was listening to screamo music and like a, a day to remember or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I, that was the first meet that I jumped 17 feet at was that very next, uh, meet. And so, Heck yeah, yeah. I, I was pretty pumped up for that whole week. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Day to remember was definitely in the headphones. My power yep. clean, power clean max was to a day to remember. Yeah. Good band. All right, Dean, what about you? I didn't listen to a lot of music and I definitely didn't listen to it to get fired up or anything like that. I, I, I tried to keep, um, that my, I guess my emotions and all that like inside of me. And, and I felt like if I listened to music, I would like, like blow my adrenaline, you know, like, mm. and I, I felt like it was, you know, a constant outpour. So I always tried not to do that, um, when competing and, and, um, and, but I do have a memorable time though, when, I didn't have a choice to listen to it because it was on the loudspeakers and Scott Huffman was going, uh, we were in the, in the Ukraine at Bukka's meet that he had indoors and they were playing the theme. He, every time he went, they played the theme theme song to mission impossible. <laughs> and everybody just loved it. It was all of a sudden it's like this fired up, uh, you know, tune and, and he was going and I was like, wow, I was actually getting fired up for Scott. You know, I was like, this is cool. You know, that's hilarious. But, um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, I tried not to listen to it. Is it just the, I wonder if they were playing it just because how he wrapped the bar, like if they were, oh, he requested it. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. All right. I, I lied. I want to do one more. Um, 
Could you guys uh, think of one time? I know that uh, having my dad as my coach um, produced some of the most incredible memories in my entire life. Just unbelievable, you know, that we got to experience a lot of, of what we did together. Is there any particular moment that you can remember that it's like, whoa, I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life? Let's see if it's the same one. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, for me, when, when Garrett, when he jumped 17 feet for the first time, I'd say that was probably one of the, the most memorable experiences for me because I knew how, how, um, incredible that was to do in high school. And, and so that was probably like a, a, a one of the top highlights for me of, of my memories. Gotcha. Yeah. I I'd say probably the same one as far, as far as like father, son, like connection, like that was definitely like the most like emotional jump where I hit that and then like ran up and gave him a big hug afterwards. And yeah, that, that was a really exciting, uh, memorable moment for both of us. Second would probably be, uh, jumping 18 feet for the first time in, in, uh, my fifth year in college. Where was that at? That was at ASU. And that one was cool because I went from being my, my PR was like five thirty at the time and then jumped oh, wow. a, a 50 that day. And, uh, like a bunch of my friends were there from, from out of state and everyone came and like pit tackled me afterwards. And then, you know, my dad was there too and gave him a hug. So that, that was kind of cool to do it at ASU with all my friends there. And yeah, that was fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate it guys. This has been uh, awesome. Is there any uh, place that they can follow you guys? Um, you know, anybody who's listening wants to learn some more about uh, what you guys are doing. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, um, at AZPVA, uh, you can go to Arizona pole vault academy.com to kind of check out information on our camps. Um, yeah, I'd say those are the the main sources to, to go look at. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much and keep up the good work. You guys are doing incredible things, uh, in Arizona and, uh, for the pole vault community, Garrett, uh, good luck with the rest of your season. Keep staying healthy. We've got to stay yep. healthy, keep that hammy healthy, and uh, maybe we'll see you around uh, this season. All right. Sweet. All right. Have a good one. This is the One More Jump podcast.